Welcome back to the Commission Podcast and to our summer series covering the great talks and seminars from Revive, our annual festival bringing together churches from across the network here in London to a field in Canterbury for a weekend of worship, fellowship, and great Bible teaching. This year's theme was Faithful Through the Storm, focusing on both God's faithfulness to us and a reminder that because that's true, we can remain faithful to Him. This one is from Ray Galea, Senior Pastor at Fellowship Dubai. The talk is entitled Faithful Gospel Partnership from Philippians 1. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Puti. I'm from Streatham Central Church. Thank you. This morning, we are going to read from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, from verses 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those that oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle, you saw that I had, and here that I still have. Yes. Beautifully read. My name is Ray and I'm from Fellowship Dubai. Oh, Santa. Uh, I needed to feel the love. Everyone else was getting it. It is such a joy. I mean, I have two reasons explicitly why I'm so thankful for Sandy and I to be given the invitation to be here. The first, of course, is to really, the main one, the, the one really, is, is to see commission up close and personal. You hear about this wonderful work that God is doing in London, but to be here, wow, to be part of this festival called Revive, celebrates gospel partnership across churches. What a real honour. I thank God for all of you. The second thing is that it happened within the week that Australia won the first game in the first 10. I've been sitting on that all week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want by your grace, for your glory, to be single-minded for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as patterned for us by Paul, whom we're about to read of and see, but also, Lord, to see how he modelled himself on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, allow these words to not fall to the ground. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, if you're like me, you probably feel like you've been swimming in mud for the last seven, five, seven, however many years, in a bit of a daze. Uh, the, we've all witnessed in the Western world, especially, the shifting ground of the cultural landscape. Uh, from the Me Too movement to the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, we were rightly confronted with real issues to do with abuse of power, institutional racism, 
they were packaged in a certain form that sometimes made it hard to disentangle the baby from the bathwater, from the issue, from the ideology. And I think we sometimes felt wrong-footed in knowing how to respond, but responded we need to. We found ourselves in a post-Christian world that was slowly creeping up on us with no shared sense of truth. Uh, We found ourselves in a war. Everyone was in a war. Identity politics, virtual signalling, cancel culture. Um, Everyone was part of it and on the receiving end of it, not just us. And the one with the loudest or funniest voice tended to win the argument, at least for the moment. Then along came COVID, which kind of exhausted us and distracted us. On the plus side, it finally dragged the church into the 21st century. That was a good thing. For some of our churches, like my previous one, the church I planted 32 years ago, MBM, there was a, a deep division between the vaccinated and the vaccine hesitant, of whom 80 lost their jobs because of a government policy, no jab, no job, and they felt absolutely abandoned by the church. If that wasn't enough, we saw the next stage in kind of public policy and uh, public debate on sex and gender, and gospel conversations seemed to end as quickly as they started with that, well, where do you stand on gay and transgender rights? And some of our friends now, Bible-believing friends, sounded like they were shifting ground a little bit on this most precious and important issue. And partly because every one of us had someone who we dearly loved who was coming out. I had two teenagers come out, young adults come out in the same year while living with me. One of them was my nephew. These are people we loved and still do. And then we're dealing with denominational compromise that was kind of sapping every bit of missional energy out of us. And Oz Guinness, I think, nailed it when he said, we live in the world of ABC, anything but Christianity. The Bible was now hate speech. History was being rewritten And Christianity, well, we were the oppressive, we were the abusers, we were the new slave traders. And I don't know if you had the same experience, but in Australia we had agitators who'd scroll through online sermons to name, shame and expel churches from public schools, sorry, government schools. Anyway, (laughs) very different. (laughs) Some churches were losing you know, the battle in courts uh, over, over their property uh, as they pulled away from their denomination. And then on top of everything else, government inquiries were rightly exposing uh, the failure of the church to engage in uh, sexual abuse within their own, in their own house and undermining any ability to have what little voice we had in the public square. And then, if that wasn't enough, oh, dear, we started to witness the fall of high-profile Christians. Probably the most horrific was Ravi. I still haven't come to terms with that one. Not to mention our own quota of homegrown evangelical heroes who fell from disgrace, leaving us all a little bit daunted, a little bit discouraged, a little bit divided and a little bit distracted. And if somehow you came out of the last five years unscathed with any any quota of depression, anxiety, or burnout symptoms, then you need to go and see a counsellor. There's something wrong with you. (laughs) So friends, my brothers and sisters, it's time to get our bearings again. For one very important reason, and it's not complicated. 
the good news of our Lord Jesus is the only lifeline thrown out to humanity. There it is. The good news of our Lord Jesus is the only lifeline thrown out to humanity. The gospel, what is it? You've always got to keep defining it. I'm not assuming everyone believes it in this room. I'm sure there are those who are visiting. It's great to have you with us. It's my desire that today will be the day you say yes to Jesus. What is the gospel? It is God's good news concerning his son. Jesus, the long-promised Davidic king, ushering in God's kingdom and rule. By his sin-bearing death, he turned aside God's wrath. That's right. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't make God angry. You can grieve his spirit, but you can't make God angry. And then by Christ's living resurrection, wow, death was defeated. Satan was disarmed. Jesus was declared living Lord, King of kings. There's now nothing he can't forgive. Salvation is open to absolutely everyone who turned from their sins and put their trust in Jesus. So can I just say, if you haven't done that yet, what better day than today? Because the gospel, my goodness, it is powerful to save. It has been commissioned by the Lord Jesus. It has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. It has been unleashed and it is unstoppable in the face of any opposition. And that's the gospel Paul took to the Philippians. And he did that 10 years before he wrote this letter in AD 51. He visited the church twice since then. Now remember, he's writing from the vantage point of prison, not Paris. So it's a different kind of perspective. And as soon as they, the Philippians received the gospel, they entered into gospel partnership. Let me just read to you verses four and, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, just the way in which he uses that phrase of gospel partnership. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Gospel partnership, this beautiful commitment to cooperate in all areas to promote the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And to know that that's the um, place before us with the certainty that the work God is beginning, is, has begun, he will complete. And it has many facets. And we kind of witnessed those facets on this very stage this morning and this weekend. Gospel partnership means praying and interceding for others, proclaiming the gospel, planting gospel-centered churches, guarding the gospel from enemies of the, of the, cross, uh, of the cross, raising and sending out workers of the gospel, it includes sharing in the joy of the gospel work and in the sufferings of the gospel work. And it includes financially supporting gospel work. And again, we were reminded of that privilege today, and I hope you took up the opportunity. I remember discipling a guy. There was a week where this guy was in town, and then he was going to be out. This was back in Sydney. And I had a week to sort of introduce him to Jesus. So every day we met for an hour and a half. And by Friday, he gave his life to the, to the Lord. And I said, Steve, after he prayed the prayer, I said, Steve, you need to understand we're not alone. I said, what do you mean? I think I was freaking him out. I said, right here, right now, the whole of my church is present. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm only able to invest this much time with you because my church financially partners with me and in this work to free, feed my family so I can actually basically introduce you to Jesus. I'm just the show pony. We're in it together. And I wanted him to know from the very beginning of his conversion 
that all those human elements that brought him to Christ was gospel partnership, including the finances. Oh, commission. You are, I want to, I've been wanting to say this all weekend, you are the most meaningful expression of gospel partnership I have ever witnessed in 42 years as a Christian. And I've been around. I love the way in which you cross denominations. That particularly kind of warms my heart, putting the gospel front and centre with this passion to plant healthy, vibrant churches lodged very clearly in the heart of London. So let me give you this charge as we begin. You think, begin? How long have we been going for? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, it's going to be a long one. Verse 27b, stand firm. Here's the charge. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Oh, don't lose that vision. Don't let it ride on the enthusiasm of a Richard Koken. Don't get discouraged or distracted. Don't get daunted. Don't get divided as we engage in gospel partnership. Now, to that end, what I want to do is journey through Philippians 1, 12 to 30, just to see the way in which Paul is setting this radical single-mindedness for the gospel and as in the face of opposition. But don't just think, well, he's a single old bloke who's an apostle. He's in a class of his own. But he keeps saying in Philippians, whatever you've seen or observed in me, do likewise. So as you're watching, he's setting the pattern for all of us. Here here is what it means to be faithful in the storm. He expects, uh, here are a number of lessons from this passage. Number one, don't despair when we lose our freedom. Don't despair when we lose our freedom. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The Philippians were losing heart. Their beloved apostle is being stuck in prison probably for years. And uh, they're just so discouraged. And he's saying, brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged. My wrongful imprisonment has actually functioned to advance the cause of Christ. Paul was probably chained to a guard on a rotation of every four hours. He's basically had lots of opportunity to share Christ. And he's saying those 900 praetorium guards directly or indirectly have access to the message of Jesus. And if that's the case, I'm thrilled. I'm rejoicing. Now, Paul is not some naive idealist who kind of sees a, you know, a silver lining around every cloud. Um, it's that once you discover it's not about you, once you discover you're not the main character of your life, once you Take to heart that at the name of Jesus, every knee's going to bow in heaven and, and on earth and under, and under the earth. And every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Then all of a sudden, you're free to reposition every situation and pivot everything on one thing. Does it or does it not advance the cause of Christ? And if it does, let's praise the Lord. My second cousin, who has since gone to be with the Lord, but he actually was wrongly imprisoned for 10 days. He was arrested and uh, he was was vindicated after 10 days. But he he had a good reason to feel sorry for himself. But you know what he did in those 10 days? 
Every day he went into the middle of the courtyard with his Bible open, sat down and waited for the other inmates to come to him so he could share Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's what he did for 10 days. Paul was in prison, but he knows the gospel's free to do its work. Did you not read COVID that way? I mean, I think, I wish there was more conversations like that happening. How is this advancing the cause of Christ? It certainly took the heat out of the sex-gender debate, at least for a couple of years. But, you know, while churches had closed, all of a sudden we started to see this beautiful online gospel footprint able to send links here, near and far away. And I, I still remember having this sister, this woman from Delhi on our evangelistic course online thinking, how is this happening? She gave her life to the Lord. It was just fantastic. Wonderful. Secondly, don't be discouraged when suffering inspires mission. You want to be faithful in the storm? Don't discourage. Don't be discouraged when suffering inspires mission. Look at verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's additional joy is this, that his imprisonment has actually inspired Christians who are outside of jail to go gung-ho for Jesus all the more. And that's why he's saying this is not bad news. This is good news because this is the formula for Paul. What's good for the gospel is good for Paul. Now, we come from a pain-pleasure culture. If something is pleasurable, it's by definition good. If something is painful, it's by definition bad. Um, but Paul is saying, no, 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 I want you to march to a different beat, regardless of whether the issue is pain or pleasure. And I'm, we're not denying the grief and so forth, but there is a clarity here that we need to grasp. Regardless of whether the experience is pain or pleasure, if it promotes Christ's then, my friends, it is worth rejoicing in. Why? Because if there's only one lifeline thrown out to humanity, then what's good for the gospel must be good for you. Even when the gospel's preached with bad motives. Point three, what does faithfulness in the storm look like? Don't be distracted when Christians behave badly. Verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach, preaches Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. If anyone had reasons to throw himself a pity party, it's got to be Paul. Eh? He's wrongly imprisoned for Christ. Probably the Philippians are the only ones who are financially supporting him while he's in there, giving him aid. And then on top of everything else, he's got brothers and sisters in Christ who are preaching Christ with the express aim of doing him harm. That's about as low as you can get. We don't know the... Con we don't, I, I certainly don't know. What the, it's not, the reason is not given in the text, the how. Think about it. Believers actually using the name of Jesus to injure Paul while he's in prison. Now, you and I, we've all got a quota of scar tissue, uh, wounds from believers who have caused us enormous grief in our various experiences in ministry. And the church, you know, someone rightly put it, the church is like a whole lot of porcupines thrown into a suitcase. And, and that's why you have bear with one another, you know, correct one another, forgive one another. 
But I tell you, it's always more painful when the wounds come from your beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. When they don't have your back, when you feel betrayed and abandoned. Don't learn the wrong lesson, though, when that happens. Don't let Satan embitter you or allow your heart to be embittered. And don't forget that forgiveness is not optional. Too many Christians seem to spend a whole lot of time wondering if there's an if there. Okay, if you don't want to call it forgiveness, call it love your enemy. But either way, you're going to get to that point. And pray good things for that brother and sister who's injured you. But most of all, not most of all, equally, don't let it distract you from gospel work. Notice how Paul just keeps reframing everything through this gospel lens. This is his response to those who have profoundly injured him. Verse 18, can't believe he says this. Ah, what does it matter? (laughs) The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. (laughs) Wow. He is so Jesus-centred. The important thing in it, the important thing is, I want my quota of flesh. That's what the important thing is. <laughs> no, the important thing in every way is that the good news of Jesus is shared to a world that is without hope and without Christ. Even when the right gospel is preached with the wrong motive, we have to celebrate. This brother or sister was dead, he's now alive. So When that Pentecostal, Arminian, egalitarian church down the road that preaches Jesus Christ and him crucified and many are getting saved, you make sure you rejoice now. Sure thing. No problem. As long as they come to my church afterwards. (laughs) Now, friends, we don't rejoice, obviously, in the proclamation of a false gospel. We lament and pray for it to be shut down or the preachers to be rebuked or corrected or transformed. And don't misunderstand, motives really do matter. Just be concerned about your motives, not anyone else's. Faithful through the storms. Point four, don't be defeated by the threat of death. Verse 21. This is a classic passage, isn't it? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Faced with the option of life or death, he doesn't exactly know. He thinks he's going to be released. He doesn't exactly know how it's going to play out. But faced with the real options of life and death, he's kind of in a win-win scenario. You see what he says? Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. It sounds like he's trying to decide what kind of dessert he's going to have. Actually, I don't know. The, the meringue or the salted caramel gelato? I, I don't know. I think this is better. <laughs> to live is Christ, to die is going. Die young, die old. Either way, we're going to die in Christ. Now, Paul's not suicidal. This isn't a soliloquy from Hamlet, you know, to be or not to be. That is the question. Paul knows if he gets to live, survive this, wow, he's going to be able to continue to preach the gospel and uh, continue in his partnership and blessing the Philippian church. If he dies, better still, he gets to be with the Lord whom he's been preaching. He's hungry for heaven and he's hungry to bless the Philippians. 
It really is a win-win scenario. First minister I ever served with as a pastor, uh, he died at the end of the year that he joined us. And the day before he died, I went to visit him and I said, Les, I hope you don't mind me asking. I said, what's it like knowing that within perhaps 24 hours, you're going to be in the presence of God? And he thought for a moment, he said, with a smile, he said, I've got to tell you, Ray, I'm a little bit excited. <laughs> and I thought, I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> to live is Christ, to die is gain. Rapunzel went to be with the Lord three years ago. What a great name, Rapunzel. She was only 27 years old. She never got to celebrate her first wedding anniversary. Days before she died, her husband said she was so euphoric that the doctors wanted to medicate her. <laughs> but Sam said it was like she was staring into heaven itself. Now, I know when you get to that stage, the chemicals can kick in and create certain psychological experiences, but... You know, he actually recorded her the day, before the, uh, the fu- uh, the day before she died. And at the funeral, we heard an audio recording of Rapunzel speaking. And she was talking about how she was so excited about going on holidays with Jesus. And then she sort of flipped it a bit. And she said, she started to warn everyone at the funeral, make sure you escape eternal damnation by turning to Jesus. <laughs> what? single-minded clarity for the gospel she had. In the words of Piper, don't waste that cancer now. So whether Paul lives or dies, this is how he wants the Philippians and you and me to respond. Faithful in the storm. Point five, by don't bring dishonour to the, to the gospel. Verse 27. Well, whatever happens, that is, whether he's alive and gets to be with them or not, whatever happens, however this is going to play out, you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, we don't do the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. It's a message that needs to be spoken. But we are called to live a life worthy of the gospel. It has a sense within it that we are citizens of God's kingdom. So act like it. Our life is to adorn our beautiful saviour, the Lord Jesus I heard of one man, he, he was retired, and he wasn't about to waste his retirement. He invested, I always reckon if you're about to retire, you've got another 15 years of full-time ministry in front of you. Um, and so there he was investing himself in this ministry and that. And one of the things he did is he put a refugee under his wing, really cared for him, you know, taught him English, took him to job interviews. And after about three, three uh, months, the refugee said to him, why you do this? Why you do this? And he thought, great, I'm going to, he starts sharing the gospel badly. <laughs> and he could tell the refugee wasn't kind of grasping really what he was saying because of the language issue. But he must have understood enough because the refugee said to him, if you're God like you, I want to worship him. <laughs> if you're God like you, I want to worship him. We exist to make Jesus look good, that they may be saved. Friends, too much is at stake, point six, to be divided in gospel partnership. Verse 27b, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, 
I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Whether I make it and get to you or whether I die and go to be with the Lord, or sorry, or whether I don't get to you physically but get to here, I want to hear this, that you are striving and straining together giving 110% to the cause of Christ in promoting the gospel in the city of London. Shoulder to shoulder. He uses an athletic image here. Now, I can't tell you the joy. I'm going to sort of not boast, but share my joy. Because gospel partnership is about sharing the joy of gospel ministry. So I've got to tell you, I... uh, Uh, I know that the church I planted 32 years ago uh, is now, in my absence, going stronger and better than when I was there. Wasn't it a relief that I left? (laughs) Preaching Christ, people getting saved. And then I, I just asked one of the pastors yesterday, I said, what's the plans for the next church plan? He said, spoken to the bishop, it's on the, uh, we've spoken to the local minister in the area, uh, just to do things properly, and then we hope to plant in, in, in Easter. Oh, I can't tell you the joy of knowing that the ministry continues beyond you. We always knew we were dispensable, but you really are. It's kind of like Ray Who now at MBM. Now, there are two threats to gospel unity, and let's take them to heart. The first one, of course, is external. I, I began by giving us an introduction to that. Um, But today's opposition, I want to say, has a particular face to it that is different from the kind of persecution Jack Saras people are experiencing or that I might see in Dubai. Um, We are now portrayed as being being, um, harmful to the vulnerable. Think about that. We were the do-gooders. Now we're the do-good. We're now the do-badders. That's a different kind of pressure. That's very unnerving. That'll kind of pull the rug from underneath you if you're trying to share the gospel. You know what it reminds me, though, and I touched on it in the interview a couple of days ago. It reminds me when I came to Christ way back in 1980. And in six months, with a clear conscience, I couldn't remain Roman Catholic. And I had to tell my mum, now, to be Maltese is to be Catholic. You're not just saying no to a a faith posture. You're actually saying no to your culture. And and to be able to tell my mum that and to see her cry every day, and I mean every day for two years, till finally I burst into tears. Mum, I said, I can't cope anymore. That my decision to love Jesus would hurt my mother whom I loved and whom I was her favourite, but that's by the by. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're experiencing now. We're being portrayed, siding with Jesus now is being portrayed as hurting people who are vulnerable. And that's a very unnerving posture to be in. We're not used to it. I don't, I don't think the Christian church, you know, we're too moral, yeah, but now we're immoral. Now we're toxic. Once we were anemic, now we're toxic. But friends, hold our ground, we must. In the same way I needed to do that with my mother. And quietly, respectfully, lovingly hold my ground and go, go off to church 
reciting those words, unless you love me more than your mother or father, you're not worthy of me. Hold our ground. We must refuse to believe the lie that the world is wiser than God. We must refuse to believe the lie that the world is more just than God. We must refuse to believe the lie that the world is more compassionate and loving than God. Our God gave us his best when we were at our worst. The world has never done that. But what's more tragic is when there's internal conflict. That one has a particular sting to it. In Philippians 4, I won't read it, I'll just recite it. I'll just summarise it. Paul the Apostle, he's got two women, Eudea and Syntyche, or however you pronounce those names. Uh, they've had a falling out. He tells us three things about these two women. Uh, one, they were frontline gospel workers. Two, they, they contended with the gospel side by side with Paul. And three, most of all, their names are written in the book of life. And now, out of fellowship, because of some pathetic, stupid conflict, <laughs> we can't preach a gospel of peace unless we are at peace with one another as much as it depends on us. That would be the height of hypocrisy. And do not think the solution to conflict is that middle-class, polite, avoidance strategy. We're called to stand as one for the sake of the gospel, Within our churches, within our ministry teams, within our staff, across churches, we are just committed. Be at peace with all men as much as it depends on you. So let me recite the charge again, verse 27b. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Clearly, Eudea and Syntyche didn't get the memo. You know the memo from Philippians 2, that beautiful hymn of Christ? where Paul says, value others in humility, value others above yourselves. Must have been in the fine print for them because they didn't quite read it. Have the same mind as Christ, who though being in the very nature of God, the very stuff of God himself, did not consider equality with God something to take an advantage of. And then you get that great, big, divine bungee jump by God. <laughs> have the same mind of Christ who made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found in human likeness, obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the job, jump God took wasn't simply from heaven to earth or God to God-man, all true. It wasn't even from God to death. It was from God to hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is, of course, you. You are the reason why the son was forsaken, so that you didn't need to be. You and those eight to ten million other Londoners, those precious souls are without hope and without Christ. In a world where everyone wants to move up, better job, better house, better spouse, better car, Jesus is downwardly mobile. <laughs> There's no Italian suit. There's no chauffeur-driven, I was going to say Aston Martin, Rolls, whatever. No villa in Monaco. Just that blood-stained, rugged cross that declares the love of God, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. 
in a world where you're lucky if someone will cross the street to help you, God crossed the universe to meet you in the flesh. Here is the humility of our God. And all of this, and I think this is the, the big neglect of this passage, all of this, him of this descent of Christ, is set in the context of gospel partnership. It's just in another chapter, but it's actually part of the same argument. And here is the humility of God. And so it makes perfect sense that he would ask you to consider others above yourself because that's exactly what he did. Members of commission, have the mind of Christ. Sorry, keep on having the mind of Christ. If the Son of God crossed the universe to meet you at Golgotha, then let us cross, I was going to say suburbs, boroughs. Bit of cross-cultural work there. Cross... It's absolutely no effort to cross a few burrows to assist in another church plant or to start another church plant for the sake of Christ. The question in every church's agenda must always be not if, but when is that next church plant and where? Even if it's a few years down the track, when is it and where? And pray it in. Pray it in. Because the way of the Messiah is the way of the Messiah's people. So don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by denominational compromise and pastoral crises. Stay on point. Don't be divided by, sorry, manage them well, of course, but it's so easy to actually go off point. Don't be divided. We can't, let me say it again, we can't proclaim a gospel of peace unless we have peace with each other. So if you know that there's someone has something against you or you've got something against someone else, you make sure before the sun sets today you put that right. And don't let yourself be discouraged and daunting by the shifting tides of cultural form. They change, they'll change again. You've got no control over that. But you do have control over what you say and do. Because, don't, I tell you why, most of all, do not get discouraged and daunted because, remember, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only lifeline thrown out to those precious souls in London. And my goodness, I asked how many fit in that ring road. There's nearly 10 million. You haven't even touched the side. The need is enormous. This is your time. That, this generation's in London, that's your responsibility. It's not mine. I've got three million in Dubai I've got to worry about. This is your city. God has entrusted these souls to your stewardship. So steward well, brothers and sisters. I'm going to ask you to stand because I'm going to give you the charge. Once, one more time. Could you stand with me and bear, bear with me for a moment? love you to respond by, by the grace of God we will. Only if you mean it, but I'm pretty sure you will. With God as our Father and the Lord Jesus as our King and in the power of the Holy Spirit, with a certain knowledge that Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead, I give you this charge. Stand firm in the one Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we firstly come and we just want to simply praise you for the awesome gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of 
Jesus' sin-bearing death, there is nothing he can't forgive. We have been adopted into your family. We recognise this to be the only lifeline thrown out to humanity. This is the only lifeline thrown out to the people of London. We want to say thank you for the privilege of using ordinary people like us to partner in your precious, precious work, your eternal work, the one work that has ultimate significance. We want to say, I want to say thank you for my brothers and sisters here in Commission. Oh, may they never lose their vision to keep planting churches, revitalising healthy churches in this wonderful city of London. Lord, we know that many come to London looking for a better life, but you have brought them in your providence to find eternal life. So open the hearts of many, plant lots of churches, keep on using commission, commission. and may we never forget that apart from you, we can, we can do absolutely nothing. And most of all, Lord, we pray that the people of London will treat you with the glory that you rightfully deserve. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen indeed. Thanks for listening. And stay tuned as we continue to release talks from our weekend away. See you next time.